1: This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. All right. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, let's see. The date is Friday, September 6, 2019. Of course, you're hearing this anytime in the universe. It is a podcast. As we always do with the bonus interviews, I allow my guests to introduce themselves. And so I'm going to start with guest number one right there.
2: Hi, this is Lori Glenn. I'm a political and public affairs consultant on social justice issues and really excited to be here. Thank you, Ben.
1: All right. And guest number two.
0: I'm Juanita Irizarry, or as I often say, or Juanita Irizarry, whichever one you can pronounce. Um, I happen to be the executive director of Friends of the Parks, but uh, let's just say that whatever I say here today is my words only and not representing my organization.
1: That's a good thing to say right off the top. That's right. And uh, Lori Glenn uh, represents Lori Glenn. All right, so here's how this happened. Uh, I'll do this a little introduction here. Uh, I've been just saying this line pretty much all day today. I wrote a column for the... This week's reader, uh, where I was making fun of Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lightfoot's speech, her budget speech. Uh, It was a typical Ben snarky wise guy column. And uh, so it ran this week, and at some ungodly early hour of the morning, I got a text from someone who will rena- remain anonymous who gets up a lot earlier than I do. And uh,
2: I the, think that would be me.
1: Ah, yeah, so I was going to keep it anonymous. When uh, either the text went like this. <clears throat> you mother bee! No, it did not go. did not do that. She's way too yeah. refined. So this is a pretty funny line. I'm just waiting to read this on the air. So, quote from Lori Glenn. So I know that you are really licking your chops to go after Lightfoot. <laughs> I, for one, would be happy to be on your show to say what we need to give her more of a chance to be a great mayor. Just saying. All right. And I appreciated that on many levels, one of which is that uh, Lori Glenn is not the first person I uh, wanted to su- suggest to me that I have a psychological imbalance uh, and I ha- feel this compulsion to routinely uh, criticize mayors of the city of Chicago. I
2: You f- have PSTD.
1: <laughs> okay, now she's, she's diagnosed
2: Post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD. PTSD. Sorry. Yeah,
1: yeah. And yes. well, I had that from daily too. So I know. So it's a long story. Yes, it's been a while. Uh, and so anyway, but I feel it's fair. Only fair. I've had people on the show who have been critical of uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, um, uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa was on the show. And I had a, a three members of the More, Mayor Lightfoot's transition team who were on the show uh, last week as well. They were critical. So let's bring someone on for a different perspective. And I welcome it. So Lori Glenn uh, and Juanita, you're here and I appreciate that. You're coming in here and you haven't cursed me out yet. Not yet. Uh, all right, not yet. It's still early though, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so I don't care which one starts. Um, let's just start with this a general sense of first 100 days. First Lori Lifewood was resistant. She didn't want to be... Um, She thought That's such an arbitrary number, but then eventually she got into it herself and part of her speech was evaluating her first 100 days. So just talk a little bit about, I guess I'll start with you, Lori Glenn, Uh, first 100 days of the other Lori, Lori Lightfoot.
2: Well, actually, I just don't think it's about 100 days. I think it's about leadership. And the fact is, is what you have is you have a new mayor. And that isn't, I don't mean just, is she a new mayor? She's never been an elected official before. So this is a person who now has to figure out how to lead, not as a candidate, because being a candidate and governing are two different skill sets. And so she needs to understand how she is, what type of leadership she is going to have. Then she has to build a leadership team. And actually, I give her an A on that. From Candice Moore to Marisa Navarra to a range of people she has brought into her administration. And she has demonstrated that the best kind of leader are those people who bring in smart, strong administrators to be able to manage and that they will have voices at the table. Um, I think Rom tried to manage... Very much from his seat of power, and I think Lori is demonstrating that she is going to give power, authority, and um, accountability to her commissioners. And then she has to, so she has to figure out how she's going to lead, and she has to develop a vision for leadership. She has to build this leadership team, and they got to get a handle, because these people, most of them, have never been in public office, Mm -hmm. let alone managing the third largest city in the United States. Mm -hmm. This isn't like Hoboken, which I'm sure is a very nice town, (laughs) nothing personal to Mm Hoboken, but it's not Chicago, which is complicated. And then she's dealing with something that I know, Ben, you don't really like to talk about, which is the issue of corruption, Mm -hmm. Uh, which means that there are people who have been living and working in City Hall. They may even have beds there in the basement, as far as I know, for 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. These people think they've been there before this mayor, and they think they're going to be there after her. Mm -hmm. And they are going to do whatever they can to potentially disarm her and not to have her succeed. So I want to just give an example that a nameless commissioner, a story that they told me the other night, which was very telling. Uh, they said, I went to my staff's side of the office the other day just to say hello and talk to them. And all of them looked up like, am I about to get fired? Like, what are you doing here? And she's like, I, I just came to say good morning and talk to you about how you are. And they go, we have never seen a commissioner come to this side of the building and talk to us. And then they went to another side of the building, to another part, and the same response happened. And then they asked their team the very important question, so what are your recommendations for this project? And their jaws dropped, basically, and said, what do you mean, what are our recommendations? She's like, okay, what are your ideas? And they're like, uh, nobody's ever asked us what our ideas are. We are here just to do what we're told. Now, that is a very unhealthy work environment, Ben. Mm -hmm.
1: That she's inherited.
0: Yeah, I I happen to be standing next to Lori as we heard that story uh, the other night and and I had you know just a similar reaction that there's just so much culture change that needs to happen in City Hall. I also that same night had a conversation with Alderman Ramirez Rosa um, who I met on the campaign trail when I was also running for Alderman back a couple cycles ago and um, we got friendly back then and go back and forth these days about whether or not we agree with each other Um, and he asked me that night how I felt about the mayor's speech and and my answer to him was that you know i i liked the themes um and the tone um but the work to get to the real answers is going to be extremely hard and i'm hopeful as a chicagoan who has clearly not propitiated previous mayors um and it's no, no surprise that i you know was or no secret to anyone that I was like celebrating to to know that we would not have a Rahm Emanuel as mayor anymore. Um, So you know it's a it's a better day and I really hope that Chicagoans can figure out a way to help this administration be successful and I think that's going to be a combination of pushing and collaborating Mm -hmm. Um, and I think 100 days is way too soon to have things figured out.
1: All right, so let me uh, say, uh, start by praising Lori Lightfoot a little bit, okay? Oh, please. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and just seeing Juanita here in the room and hearing her allude to uh, Rahm Emanuel, uh, I think on this point, I'm, I would be surprised. I hope uh, she will not be like Rahm or Daly in this point. And I think of the fight over the Lucas Museum on the lakefront and the way that was an imposition. Just Rom decided he cut a deal and he came home and he announced it. We're going to put this museum and it's a great thing. And he lined up the aldermen. And they just follow him off a cliff. And he used his tremendous powers in front of of command of city government so that all the oversight bodies, including the park district and the plant commission, they all fell in line. So there's no analysis, there's no debate, there's no discussion. It's top down, this is what's good for you. And if you don't like it, you are uh fill in the blanks because then they grew the counterattack. You're a racist, you, you're an elitist, you're a snob, blah, blah, blah. And that was, That's... I lived through that with Rom. I lived through that with Daly. So I really don't believe at the risk of sounding naive that Lori Lightfoot is cut from the same cloth. I do not believe, I, and I really hope that a month from two months, three months, four, five, six months from now, I'm not saying, oh my God, was I bamboozled. Mm-hmm. But I do not believe she's cut from the same cloth. Yes. I do not believe that um, she's going to do one of those Rom daily impositions where they just say this is going to be mm-hmm. right.
0: So I, I, I think, The intention is to do a lot better job at community engagement and working with folks to find answers, not just declare from on high what the answers are. I think the fact that she has hired a chief engagement officer in the person of Juan Carlos Linares, who happens to be someone that I've known for a long time, means that they want to try and figure it out, you know. And I have chatted with the mayor and with Juan Carlos about some of these things. And the, um, you know, the words I have heard are, we're going to go talk to the people. Now, whether they're going to do it right each time, well, I can just say no, because I've already called up Juan Carlos Linadas and said, yo, you did that wrong, (laughs) right? And so they're working on it. They're figuring each other out, the processes in City Hall, you know, figuring out, like, I don't know where the bathrooms are, you know, things very basic. Um, but I'm hopeful that they will put more and more processes in place to try to not do that.
2: Well, I am, you know, expect these people to make mistakes every single day. You know, that's just normal because they're learning. But I think, as you said, I don't, I believe, like, Eric Zorn did this column. I think it was Eric uh, about the word conversation was, like, said 20 times in this, I, I think it was the editorial board meeting at the Tribune.
1: Eric Zorn, a Chicago Tribune columnist. Go ahead.
2: And I believe, actually, Lori is trying to learn and understand the needs of the varying groups in Chicago because Lori can't, you know, Lori could, if she was going to follow in some of her predecessors' footsteps, just represent one part of the city. But uh, her message from the very beginning has been about equity and inclusion and about the fact that this city is a city of neighborhoods, but actually economic and community economic development needs to be spread across the communities as it has not been done in the past. So, all of the things she wants to do, there are something that's never been genuinely done before. And I, in talking to some of the people in the administration, the sense that I get from them is they're actually trying to think about things and not act as quickly as many of us might want them to do. You know, like, oh, come on, can't you make some decisions about this or that, or give me some cover on something. But they're like, you know, we really have to give We have to think strategically about overall and overarching issues. I think that she is a brilliant woman you know, and she's an intellectual and that she actually is a process person. Now, I think she can get up into people's faces too. So I'm not saying she can't like, she enjoys a fight. We've seen that a number of times and I'm glad she does. And she can do that. But I think she's surrounded herself again. Cause you can own, you know, you always tell someone who they are about the people they surround themselves with. And she has surrounded herself with a lot of really smart people, I think. And again, not necessarily are they all people I know or trust, but in general, I'm seeing like this is refreshing and this is what healthy democratic pluralistic leadership is about. And I see that she is trying to represent a range of people and constituencies. And I think she needs more time. And I know people are like, oh, we're giving you a D, we're giving you an F you know, I would have advised them, give her an incomplete, (laughs) start with a C. I mean, you have nowhere to go now. You've already said she's failed. So now she's like, okay, I know where you stand. Instead, um, I want to give her what I would give any leader. And I've seen this over the last 40 years is 18 months I don't know why it is, but all new leaders get 18 months. Mm-hmm. She's already got gone through three of them, so she's got 15 months mm. left. She had to develop a vision that she can articulate, and it's three key things, <laughs> three key things that you can do <laughs> that would be good, and then you articulate this. You have to be able to get your team in shape and headed in that direction, and you got to line up and I learned this from the CTU when I Chicago was instrumental in helping to elect a president 20 years ago. Her that
1: name was Debbie Lynch.
2: Didn't end very well for the union or Debbie, but my point is that you have to learn to, you have to own the hearts and minds of your team All and right. people.
1: Uh, let me, uh, I, was, I was one of the, I was not, when you alluded to the grades, uh i think you were talking about uh working families grade that they gave her a d uh that's a progressive organization here in the city of chicago uh in a column and on this show i've given Lori three grades i gave her an a for not being rahm emanuel which gets at the heart of what we were talking about take a chill pill man oh sorry rahm and uh i gave her an a uh for just like throwing ed burke to the curb i believe she did uh that was long overdue but i gave her a d and i thought i was being generous on tiffs and so it's something very specific and she's already played her hand And i don't have to wait anymore i've seen what she's done and this is an issue very near and dear to me. You've been writing about it for years and years. Uh, TIFs is the only disposable income that the city of Chicago has, an abundant amount of in- income. It's a surcharge on the property tax that brings in 800 plus million last year alone. We have over a billion dollars in reserve. Um, we have two humongous tiffs that Rom shoved down our, our throats as he was walking out of office and grassroots collaborative and raise your hand coalition filed suit challenging the constitutionality or the legality of these tiffs and Lori Lightfoot in my humble opinion had she stayed true to what she said she was doing on the campaign would have just stood back and looked the other way and allowed these lawsuits to run their course instead she's got lawyers in court Chicago City lawyers in court as we speak fighting the these lawsuits to overturn these lawsuits to effectively allow this tips to go on to take the pressure off the developers from having to cut a better deal with the city this is the leverage we had and she's working against us and she's never talked about it. She's never explained why she is doing fighting these lawsuits. She's never even said that she's due fighting the lawsuits. The only reason I, Mr. Obsessive Tiff Guy, know she was fighting the lawsuits is because Amisha Patel from the Grassroots Collaborative comes to my show and was talking about the lawsuit. And she mentioned, I said in passing, oh, so what's the city's course just looking the other way, right? Oh, no, Ben, the city's already filed two briefs. And I was... Are you kidding me? I couldn't believe it. So when I give that grade, I think I'm being very generous by giving her a D. When I give that grade, it's because of something very specific that she's done. And I would like to know how the Lori Lightfoot administration can justify uh, fighting those lawsuits.
0: I feel like we need a lawyer in the room to even talk about the legal strategy and what the assumptions are that, like what they may be trying to accomplish with that. Cause I really don't know the answer, but I do have some of the same wonderings and musings that you're having. Um, also very curious, kind of what is the strategy that this administration wants to take? Cause we have gotten some signals that they want to make it better than what happened under Rom, right? And I would like to believe that if Lightfoot had been the mayor the last four years, we wouldn't have this TIF deal the way it is right now. I would like to believe that, um, but I am confused and waiting for information about how she is going to lead through this situation, and it is not transparent at this point.
2: Um, I agree; it's very confusing. I mean, the you know, politics is filled with the land of gossip, rumors, and lies. So, some of the what I've heard is that. And I don't know enough about this lawsuit. I, I really did try to see more information about it. But the lawsuit itself is not just about the TIF, these specific TIFs. It's all TIFs in general, the lawsuit. And under this lawsuit, all TIFs would go under a jurisdiction of a judge, actually, to make decisions about them.
1: That's actually not true i've actually read the lawsuit
2: no that's what i'm saying i don't know yeah. well
1: i've actually read the, the i read the the, the uh, uh the complaint filed by the plaintiffs and the response by the city lawyers is very specific to this suit and it's not even on the issue of tiffs in general the, the 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 response from the city of chicago is that the uh the plaintiffs do not have standing they don't have legal standing and i i i Uh, jokingly put it it's like peasants don't have the right to uh, question their king and uh so I just thought... So in other words, it would throw out this particular lawsuit challenging the um, Lincoln Yard's TIFs on the ground that the people who file it do not have legal standing the permission, they don't have the status to file such a suit. It's the kind of thing that they would have done to Friends of the Park uh, with Which the Lucas they, case.
0: They tried, absolutely. They Same, they, it's anything they can do to make it go away.
1: Yes. yes. And so they, it's, a, it's a way of avoiding the issue in the lawsuit by getting the lawsuit tossed before you even get to the stage where you're discussing the issue. So she's not. it's not even a question of where like Lori Lightfoot's administration has to defend the TIF program in the city of Chicago. They just don't want to even have to be in a position where they have to defend it. And the fastest way to do that is to get this lawsuit out. And the fastest way to get this lawsuit out is to challenge the standing of the people to file it. And I want to say they did the same thing to Friends of a Park in the Lucas. Absolutely. Am I right about Absolutely. that? My memory is fuzzy on this one
0: yes and they made delay after delay after delay happen such that then um george lucas went away so they actually kind of shot themselves in the foot um in in this case i think the most generous way to think about what the mayor is trying to do if we're trying to be generous is that she would like to address tiffs but she would not like it to be addressed through the courts and so she would prefer, and I, I'm not her and I don't work in her administration, but in the various meetings and different advocacy folks that I know are speaking into her administration, I do know there are folks giving ideas about ways, you know, what like what would the world look like if there was no such thing as TIFs? You know, what would the world look like if there were TIFs that actually worked in blighted communities, but not in the misuse like in Lincoln Yards? And, and I think they want to try to figure some of the that out and think about what the other tools are, and they don't want it to be figured out in court. That's my assumption of what's going on.
2: I would agree in general. All right. But I do want to say one Mm -hmm. thing, because I heard Brian Hopkins.
1: Oh, that would be the ultimate second ward. Yeah, your favorite Alderman. My
2: BFF. Hi, Brian. (laughs) Uh, And uh, he was saying on Chicago Tonight uh, that oh, my, we had no idea that the property taxes were going to go up and that if they went up, that this TIF could not happen. And that would be not true. Mm -hmm. We actually uh, knew that the property taxes were going to be reassessed, which would make this not a blighted community. in any way, shape, or form. And we actually, my clients had given testimony, in fact, to this point, uh, the Chicago Independent uh, Venue League, Civil. And I was just talking with one of the founders of Civil, and they had directly said, I gave that testimony. So for this alderman to uh, represent and say that um, we didn't know, well, that would be not true mm-hmm. because we all did know that the clock was ticking out. Oh, so, yeah. but let's be clear. I, I'm not going to defend what they're doing with the city. Cause as Juanita said, I'm not a lawyer and I don't really understand it myself, but I do know in the land of gossip, rumors and lies that The city, I believe, is going to be coming up with something that in their mind is a more comprehensive approach to addressing TIFs, which I hope they do, and I want to just leave it at that.
1: Well, I welcome that whenever it comes, and I'll deal with that whenever it comes, but I'll just one more time before we move on from this subject. The only leverage that the city of Chicago has to deal with this abysmal tiff. That was passed in the last days of her, of her, in the last days of, <laughs> of Rahm Emanuel's administration. I was thinking of my great hair washing. At the last days of Rahm, Emanuel, the only leverage that the city of Chicago has is a lawsuit filed by uh, Grassroots Collaborative. And raise your hand, oh, and right. we are right now in court. The city of Chicago with your tax dollars, ladies and gentlemen, trying to get that lawsuit thrown out. So they are trying to throw out the only leverage we have to deal with what everybody agrees is an absolutely abysmal TIF deal that's going to cost the taxpayers a lot of money at the very time Lori's wrestling with some really serious issues of how to raise taxes. So I would think that Anybody would welcome a lawsuit that would enable her to go back to the developers and go. My hands are tied. These bad. I, I hate these raise your hand people. I hate these grassroots collaborative people. But what can I do? They got this lawsuit filed. There's nothing I could do about it. So maybe we're going to have to cut a deal. And if we cut a deal, maybe I could talk them into dropping their lawsuit. And so instead of you getting 1.3 billion dollars, maybe you get. 200 million dollars that to me is i mean
2: but how you wheel
1: and deal but, but she's throwing is, the lawsuit out
2: yeah and you're turning bright red <laughs> we're not live stream so you need to see that About this, <laughs> 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 a little upset uh but i think that you said something really important before which is the lawsuit that the um Lucas people had wanted to throw out because they said they didn't have standing. Well, that didn't work. So just because the city of Chicago might be throwing a couple of lawyers at this lawsuit saying, oh my goodness, we can't do this. They actually could win. And this may just in fact happen. And yes. we should stand And this stand is standard by.
0: operating procedure. Yeah. It may be meaningless. But exactly. you're right that city dollars, tax dollars, our tax dollars are going to fight this lawsuit. And it is a bit hard to understand.
1: Yeah. It is. All right, we'll move on from that lawsuit uh, and Please. I'll try to calm down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> what did you mean when you said PTSD?
2: Post-traumatic stress yeah, disorder? but in terms, in, in Because regard. the city, so a whole bunch of people didn't vote in the last election because mm-hmm. they were so disgusted by our government. And then the people who did vote overwhelmingly were like, voted for the voice of change, mm-hmm. period. So I think that people are traumatized in Chicago. One, the violence is just overwhelming. And uh, we're doing a lot of work, as you know, with the Partnership for uh, Safe and Peaceful Communities and Communities Partnering for Peace, Ready and Cred, uh, groups that are diligently working on um, public safety and anti-violence efforts in the city. Um, So I think people are, you know, I'm traveling in Sweden and people are looking at me and saying, are you okay? Is it safe there? I mean, that's just not okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that people in the city of Chicago are feeling unsafe. I think that people are saying, our, our property taxes going up? Our property values are going down. People are concerned about that. And I think just in general, the government, I mean, the parting words of the FBI head were, it's got to be up to the people of Chicago to change this culture of corruption, which is holding you back. And I think that people are, are tired. They're scared. They're, you know, Ed Burke and Danny Solis and one after the other. And he said, there's more to come. I mean, I think the that, FBI
1: had said there's, yes, more
2: to come. can't mm-hmm. wait. They, it, yeah, me too. And I think that people really are traumatized. And also, I think that the previous two administrations were fear based administrations. That's right. And uh, Rahm really ruled uh, through fear. As we know, when he worked for the former president, he sent a dead fish to someone as an example of what he likes to do with people, um, and I think that people were scared. I mean, I know people were scared, and even and you know, I I actually liked Mayor Daly. As he, he loved the city. I mean, we were, I was totally. I mean, under his administration, they told people, "Don't hire Lori Glenn." I got phone calls from people who said, "Lori, we want to hire you," but the administration said, "We can't." I'm sorry. Under Rom. Let's just say there was like, oh they my god! Dead
1: fish.
0: Yeah, I I often have imagined the dartboard in Rom's <laughs> office with my picture yeah. in the middle of it. I'm I'm hopeful that there is not one there is now there a on the fifth one? floor, right? Yeah. Um. So I, I want to say I've lived almost my whole life in Humble Park and Logan Square, and we've had we've been afraid for years. So like the new afraid of violence thing, in some ways, I think. Well, hey, finally, other people are scared. Maybe they'll care now. And my property values are actually going up. Um, so I'm, you know, the bigger question in my neighborhood is gentrification, but people are scared for lots of different reasons. And people are, have been abused. We've been abused for a long time, uh, in Chicago. So we have a lot of pain and often as, as I do the work that I do, and there's a lot of pain right now around the Obama presidential center. Mm. Um, I try to remind myself that so many people are in so much pain, Um, and let's try to do the work in a way that doesn't add to the pain. Um, so it's a challenge. Um, we need healing, how to get there. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm young enough, old enough to remember Harold Washington. Uh, I think I was in eighth grade when I got to shake his hand and he was a candidate and I was in college when he passed away, but so I watched that administration and um, I I hope that we don't have to go through the level of fights that happened at that time, Um, yet that administration still represents hope for me even though it was super hard, Mm -hmm. right? And so I'm hoping that somehow as Chicagoans we can come together around the hope even though people will have different strategies mm-hmm. and tactics, I think so many of us want a better Chicago. The All question right. is how do we get yeah. there? All right.
1: uh, Restorative
2: you, justice.
1: Do you have that uh, clip of uh, Mayor Lightfoot's speech where talks about the casino? Let's play that and then get your thoughts on this. Uh, this is uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, from her budget speech about a week ago talking about a casino in Chicago.
3: We are pursuing a Chicago casino that creates a dedicated revenue stream to pay for our pension costs. If we get the tax structure right, this will represent a structural solution to address long-term problems, not a one-time fix. Not only that, it will also create thousands of jobs, help fund the state's capital plan, and stop the flow of over $200 million in gaming revenue to Indiana. As an independent study made clear, Chicago and Springfield will need to work together to get the tax structure right in, over, in order to move this plan forward. Getting it right represents a win for both the city and our state, and there's no reason why we can't arrive at a solution. But we have to be honest with ourselves. If such an agreement isn't made, if we don't secure this casino and the revenue that it creates, we will then be forced to make painful choices on finding other revenue sources. And we all know what those are, the sources we desperately wish to avoid.
1: All right. That's Lori Lightfoot talking about uh, the casino and the tax structural to get the tax structure right. What she's uh, saying without spelling it out is that the way this, the law is now stipulated, the, the uh the overseer, the owner of the casino can only get X amount. And uh, the, the, the casino operators have said that's not enough to make it worth their while to support a casino in Chicago, to get behind a casino venture in Chicago. And so what Lori Lightfoot is asking governor Pritzker and the state house, uh, the state reps and state senators to do is to change that law so that the casino operator can effectively get more, a greater stake out of it, which means we, the people get a less a, a stake out of it. So uh, makes me wonder, Is it worth our while to bring a casino to Chicago at all if uh, we're not going to get as much money out of it, if we have to give more money to the casino operators? Your thoughts?
0: I I don't have a lot to say. I'm not a casino fan, generally speaking, anyway. Um, It usually comes out of the pockets of those who can least afford it. So I understand why government officials who are desperate for revenue think about casinos. But then I imagine the the poor folks people I know people I grew up with who like spent all their money gambling and then they're like trying not to go into foreclosure I remember um, I used to work in an affordable housing group where we were building new homes for Chicago and we had sold homes to a couple folks and we had some I'm sorry I don't know if I can even say but they were nuns and they had bought one of our houses and they had gambling problems and they were losing their home you know I mean I don't know that the gambling helps our community in the end
2: So I worked for the Illinois Public Action Council when I was 19 and I ran bingos on the northwest (laughs) side of Chicago. (laughs) I did Um, not know that. And uh, for a couple of years for Bob Kramer, it's where I met Jan Uh Schakowsky and uh, Rahm Emanuel, actually. So because he used to work for public action. Was he running the bingos too? No, no. uh, Though money (laughs) was his game. I (laughs) met him when he was at the DCCC. But um, my point is that Um, I watched people, and now you think bingo. What's bingo? Well, bingos um, actually could give away their licenses, $500, but we would figure out ways to put multiple licenses together so you could give away $1,500 to $2,500 a night. Um, People would go, there are multiple bingos that are happen at that time every day. There would be morning, early afternoon, late afternoon, early evening, late afternoon on the weekends. There could be midnight bingo. Um, you spend a minimum of $75 at a bingo on the cards, on the markers, on the pens, on the all these different things you get, and the Italian beefs. So... Um, And if you go to multiple bingos a day and then a week, and I used to, um, the way you would actually promote your bingo is you would flyer, opposite bingos at different non-competing times. We all agreed to that. So I would personally go and flyer all these other bingos and I'd see my people at these bingos. Mm-hmm. So I would add this up. So you spent $75, 75 to $125 at my bingo and I've now seen you at five to 10 other bingos this month, this week. That's a lot of money. And these were working class people. A lot of them worked for the city, actually. Um, and uh, they would lose their homes. They would lose their lives. And and they would... Lo- I mean, I, these guys I, would come up to me and say, Lori take my check. It's good. I'd be like, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not good. Oh yes. And then I'd fall for it. And the check always bounced. Mm -hmm. So bingo is just obviously um, sounds funny, but actually it's not a joke. So So, this is a tax on poor people. It's People a it's a very
1: it. aggressive way. Uh, and I understand the main point uh, that Mayor Lightfoot's making at that speech is that we don't have a lot of uh, alternatives. No, uh, there's not a lot of easy solutions to, to try to find money for the city of Chicago. So uh, we feel compelled to resort to this, as you just put it, a very regressive form of taxation. It falls hardest on the, the poor suckers who who play the games thinking they could beat the house when the whole thing is set up that guarantee to that they'll lose. The house, right. And so here we are going to give more money to the house uh, just to... And then increase. we're going to
2: get them high.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll get up high and some money over that. Well, if they have any money left over from their gambling to uh, get high. So w- when you think of that, uh, what kind of other alternatives can you think of as two progressives that you would recommend to Lori Lightfoot that she at least consider uh, as a way to uh, raise taxes for the city? Do you have any ideas?
0: Yeah, I'm just going to start by saying we sat here saying we're really glad neither of us is the mayor. But go ahead, Lori. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, but, on Lori. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, what I want to say is actually there's no short term solutions mm-hmm. at all. And she's about to have to make some very hard decisions that none of us are going to like. And she inherited this from Rom, who, who did inherit this from Daly, who did inherit this from whoever, because that can has been kicked down. What is that? The Down the road. Down the road uh, for eons, both in the city and the state, that's called pensions. And these politicians did not fully fund these pensions. And we've got big problems in River City and in Chicago. But so I don't have any quick fix here. But what I do think, and I think Lori understands this, is she has been talking about the need for investing in those disinvested communities. And people like David Doig, shout out to David Doig and CNI, and other developers, non-for-profit and for-profit developers who are creating strategic deals uh, with not-for-profits to do affordable housing, retail, uh, job creation. There are strategic thinkers in Chicago who are ready and they are engaged with the administration right now, I believe, in terms of developing potential financial centers. But this kind of work, in to terms of really creating jobs that are real jobs, not jobs that are low paying wage jobs, but jobs that build careers. Well, that takes longer term investment. I will say
0: I was quite irritated with the mayor the other day when she said that we can't keep taxing the rich people. I was like, are you kidding? You know, and I I like the idea of the services, the high end services that are not being taxed that could be taxed. I don't know that that would Fill the hole by itself. But I do think that there are some things that are, are more about those who are already have excess mm-hmm. uh, putting more on the table.
1: Well, that comment that you alluded to, I believe, was made uh, by Lori Lightfoot to the Sun-Times editorial board the day after she gave her speech. Uh, and this really uh, is, I have many uh, people of the progressive uh, persuasion have sent me the email uh, to that uh, about that comment that she made. And we'll put it in, in, in this context. Uh, None of the suggestions that Lori Lightfoot laid out in her budget speech or her state of the city speech, whatever it was, uh, embrace some of the progressive ideas mm-hmm. that like, let's say a Carlos Ramirez Rosa has endorsed. So for instance, bring back the head tax, let's say, or have a, uh, a tax on, um, upscale, uh, uh b- services, uh, like a, a, re- uh, a lease tax on a high end, uh, law firms, that kind of thing, or a, a T uh, that, well, she is endorsed the transfer tax, but, uh, uh there's just no, like a, a city income tax, let's say. So any of the ideas, a LaSalle street tax that the progressives had put forth, none of those did she put forth. So when she was laying out her address, she was saying, this is the world of possibilities. I don't like some. We cut, we have to cut. That's a world of possibilities. Uh, we have to go to the property tax. I don't want to go to the property tax. So the, the things that she laid out N- did not include some of these progressive uh, that's right. proposals. And that's why the progressives on top of everything else are so upset with her. What's your attitude? Do you think she should put those on the table? Or do you think she just, since she doesn't want them, she should not even have to have to entertain them?
2: No, she has to talk with the progressives and people who have these ideas, and she does need to give them some weight and value. I didn't exactly hear that the same way that you did. I didn't hear her say she wasn't open to those ideas because those ideas are part of a panoply of things that I think they've got to look at. And I'm not suggesting that, um, again, that they're perfect because I am sure that there are ideas that, we may, as progressives, because I do consider myself a progressive, a uh, long-standing. As do <laughs> uh, I. As is Juanita. And um, so I, let's put it this way. My hope is that Lori Lightfoot is listening to the different voices and that she does not defend or become defensive because these people have raised these issues. So... I've always thought that like um, the work I've done with progressives or the left or whatever we want to call people, um, people get mad at my clients all the time, but I'm always saying to them, look, they're idea generators. They're bringing ideas out from the extreme from in your point of view. And before you know it, those ideas become mainstream ideas, in fact, and so again, whereas I go, oh, did you really have to give her a D or an F? But the organizations that did that, I respect and I love the fact that they are passionate about the ideas that they believe in. So again, pluralism is a game of ideas. And so I hope that the Lightfoot administration will understand that uh, this is business, it's not personal, and that they should look at these groups and bring them in and talk with them and make them part of the solutions. Because I know that the progressives I've worked with, one of the things that I do respect about them is their passion Mm -hmm. and the fact that they do care about this city. There are people who you need to keep at the table. You know, I've worked with Nikita Brer, who I think is a brilliant young woman who, uh, with Q, uh, talks about Chicago racial, United for Equity, you know, it, of which I was a 2019 fellow. Thank yes. Mm-hmm. She was and, just
1: on the show last week. She and, was one of the three transition members, critical of Lori Lightfoot. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And I would say, I hope that Lori listens to what Nikita has to say. Mm-hmm. I don't think that people shouldn't be critical. I know that there are many things uh, that they are going to make me unhappy about. I-, I am sure of it. And <laughs> yeah. uh, But what I guess I'm saying is I think we need to differentiate between the world in which we lived in. When I said we had PTSD, which was under Rom. we were just in the diaspora. Not diaspora, but diaspora. Okay, I right. <laughs> and uh, I can tell with the Lightfoot administration, they may not like what everyone says, but didn't you say that these three people were in the transition team? Yeah, they were on the transition team. And yeah. wasn't Nikita Brer actually the co-chair of the education transition oh, like, team I, with Angelique Power, yeah. the president of the Field Foundation?
1: Speaking of wishing that the camera was on, <laughs> I wish the camera was on. As you could see, Lori Glenn.
2: Pointing. Didn't you say?
1: she got her finger like, didn't you say? I'm now. so scared. Uh, Did I say that? (laughs) I can't remember. Do I deny?
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Let us be clear Uh, that these people were on the transition team, and they are voices in Lori's head. And so whereas they may not always be agreed, or she may not take their ideas every single time, I am sure... She is considering them. And actually, I really am. I don't mean that like, oh, yeah, I'm flacking. They're not my client. <laughs> Lori Lightfoot's not my client. You should hire uh, her, Lori. She's I,
1: really fighting I, a good fight for I, you. No, know,
2: but I mean, <laughs> I, I do what? think, you know, again, though
0: I'm speaking for my, my person, um, I, you know, I work at Friends of the Parks, and we've actually been talked to by this mayor. You know, unlike the previous mayor, who the only reason he would talk to me is to swear at me. You know, so, you know, well, there is the non something finger. different is happening. Mm-hmm. It's it's not perfect, but there is more access for more people um, when it comes to the whole conversation about the Obama Presidential Center. They haven't already done everything that, wa- that the CBA coalition wants and we are ally members of the CBA coalition, but they have had meetings with community about topics that the previous mayor was never going to have at all, right? Mm-hmm. So again, you know, I'm, I I like a good protest and, you know, I've already slung some criticism um, towards the new mayor, but it is a different day. And, and I'm hoping that we can
1: well, yeah, and keep I,
0: working towards the good somehow.
1: And to that point, Juanita, I, like, I wasn't, I just, it's not just a joke when I say I give her an A for not being Rahm Emanuel. Amen. Because that was really. That was really. The fact that the people of the city of Chicago thought that's the kind of person they should elect as their mayor showed a, a significant dysfunction that's right. in the people of Chicago. This guy was so unnecessarily arrogant and smug and nasty to people. Can
0: I say, I actually was a co-director of the policy team for Miguel Del Valle when he was running for mayor. Um, Of course he lost uh, to Rahm Emanuel and others. Um, And I remember during that time reading an article about Chicago. I can't remember whose perspective it was, but it was some magazine from the East Coast. And they talked about how Chicago is like Russia. And we would Rather keep doing things the old way because that's what we know, mm-hmm. um, than figure out how to like usher in democracy. And therefore, we were going to elect Ram Manuel, and that made so
2: much sense to me, mm-hmm. and it still that's does.
1: A, it's really uh, on target criticism, I would have to say.
2: I thought it was really about S and M. I think it was a sort of sadomasochistic relationship that the city had with its elected official.
1: By the way, I just learned this on Mindhunter last night, a TV I show. Watch I watch
2: Mindhunter. Said, it's
1: SM, it's not SNL, and it's not yeah, SNL. I know. I know, did. You see that part? I did. I think I go. Uh, it's S-M, SM, not SNL. Like, <laughs> Excuse me. Did not know that. Uh,
2: so I just think that you know actually the city <laughs> of Chicago just I know I did like it to paint yeah, yeah. yeah. like we were like torture. you know there it but in a sense uh, we allowed people uh, to be elected who we didn't feel respected mm-hmm.
1: us all right now uh, but the I can't remember which one of you guys said I wrote this down uh, and, and this is an offshoot of the fact that uh, some of these community groups and uh, activist organizations gave, Lori D, And in many ways, it seems to me that the election of 2019 has not ended yet. And that, of course, where Lori Lightfoot defeated Tony Prekwinkle overwhelmingly, 75% of the vote. And most of the progressive organizations in the city of Chicago, the progressive activists were with Team Tony, and they got drubbed.
0: Yes, they did. Okay.
1: Yeah. And so nobody has done a very effective job of... making peace after those. It's like the war of wars has continued. We just saw, there are stories in the newspaper today where Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Whitefoot having exchanged uh, critical email or press releases, or what have you. They finally had, Tony reached out to Lori. Lori did not take the phone call, let it go to voicemail, sent out a message from her press spokesperson saying, uh, yes, we received the message, nothing more. And I got wor- Late-breaking word today from Jacob Kaplan that uh, Lori finally called Tony back. We need to talk about two of the most powerful people. Okay, I'm going to get start getting red in the face again, uh, Lori, uh, Lori Glenn. But two of the most powerful people in the area. If they can't even talk to each other, they're both Democrats. They're both—I don't know if they're either one of them is a progressive, but they're both liberal. They both don't like Trump. They can't even get it together to exchange a phone call? For real? I mean— that's kind of headed into rob country. I hate to say it. So, can we get past this election?
0: You know, this is a really tough one. Um, and I had a conversation with some transition team folks um, with the Lightfoot administration. In like, they had hopes that we could usher in a new way of doing work collaboratively in Chicago. And the person saying this has some background in other cities where they've seen things done differently and I literally said, "Well, this ain't that city." You know? And 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 I think I would like to imagine that, but to get from here to there, my comment to them was that you the government the administration is going to have to show us first that you can be trusted because we have no reason to trust government in chicago so you know while i personally believe in different strategies and tactics for different campaigns and we don't only have one tool in our toolbox um, i understand why folks who've always been about protest and always been on the outside and always treated on the outside and always treated badly. That's the only way they're going to relate to our government until they see something different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would say it's incumbent on the mayor to show that she's going to do some things differently. Right. I don't even know what to do about, you know, Tony and Lori and that is sad and I don't know what to do about it. But if I were advising Lightfoot, I would say you're gonna have to be the grown up in the room, right? Um, And I've also had my differences with some of my progressive brethren and I personally said to people I know and love that I am not voting for one more corrupt person just because they're gonna vote for my policy. That's my personal standpoint. So there's a lot of tension around those kinds of things um, still in Chicago.
1: Well put.
2: So, uh, Lori won this particular election and Tony didn't. And so I think that it is incumbent on the mayor to reach out and to really develop a relationship with Tony Preckwinkle. Because Toni Preckwinkle actually has, I've known her for 30 years.
1: You supported her in the last campaign, didn't you?
2: Um, I have been a supporter of Tony's, And this last election was very challenging. Let's just leave it at that. But I will say this, that Tony Preckwinkle has worked for years and years and years as an African-American woman to build power so that she could make some really, really good policy decisions, especially around criminal justice reform. When she was first elected president of the county board, I went to an executive club meeting and it was Tony Preckwinkle who was there saying, I, um, we need to make a change around um, our criminal justice reform system because it's racist. It's inherently racist, and she got a standing ovation. So she has been a change agent, and she has done a lot of good for a lot of people. And uh, Lori Lightfoot is a newly elected person. She also could probably uh, use some friends and other people who are presidents of something, like the county board, and that they need to find a way to become allies. And I would say to both of them, we need you to be allies because we have these enormous issues to face. And we need you working together with Juliana Stratton, with Kim Fox, with Tom Dart, with our governor. We don't have time for Um, pettiness, actually. We really need you to get over whatever happened between the two of you. You don't have to be BFFs. You don't have to like, (laughs) you know, work out together. (laughs) Uh, But we need both of you to be solidly together because, and it's an extraordinary thing that we have women in all of these powerful positions. And I'm saying this, yes, I am a white woman, but I'm saying I think it's incredible that we have women of color in all these leadership positions. I'm ecstatic about it. I think it's tremendous. And that they serve as role models for people across the country. So they need to hopefully get it together and find a way to work together and make really serious change. Because too many people are dying in Chicago every single day. Mm -hmm. And the two of them working together can make a difference. And while they may disagree about tactics, that's fine. But that doesn't mean you can't work together and find ways. Because there's a whole lot of issues that need to have cohesion and coherence and collaboration between the city and county
0: Uh, it's already been said lots more trying to figure it out together
1: all right I'm gonna uh, close with this uh, you mentioned the Obama Center Juanita and I have to ask you about this Uh, Mm -hmm. in so many ways the Obama Center fight just symbolizes Many of these issues that we've been facing here in the city for so long, and that is whether uh, the city can actually uh, have have enough room for the well-to-do and the poor. And uh, so many cases, so many instances, when we have prosperity in the city of Chicago, in the neighborhood, uh, this has been on my mind a lot lately, thinking about the changes I've lived through uh, on the north side which used to be far more integrated economically mm-hmm. and uh, racially than it is now. Mm-hmm. Whenever we have any kind of prosperity, it generally means uh, a transformation of a neighborhood uh, ethnically and racially. Mm-hmm. And um, I never thought I would say, well, in my lifetime, I would see uh, black people moved out of the South Side.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: but i'm starting to realize that that's a very real possibility mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. least south of hyde park in that area is far yes. south of so-, so you deal with this all the time in your position mm-hmm. uh of friends of the park mm-hmm. uh, what advice could you give lori lightfoot if mm-hmm. if she is sincere about uh, yeah. really reversing the the rom planning yeah. uh, policies which are just yeah. move them out and yeah. uh what, yeah. what advice would you give well
0: her? first of all i will say i think she means to do better than Rom in process, but she also said some things along the campaign trail uh, and since then that lead me to believe she doesn't really understand the impact of gentrification. Some of the things that she has said about Logan Square, where she lives, and I grew up on the edge of Logan Square and Humboldt Park. So I really don't think she fully understands that the people who benefit from all that neighborhood change are not going to be the people who live here right now. And so I, I, I think, even though I think she's going to do better than. Ram might have been. I think she has a bit to learn there. You know, I, I bring back uh, a. An example I picked up just recently at the City Parks Alliance conference, which happens every couple years, and there's a park being developed in Greenville—not Greenville, Greenville, South Um, Carolina—and the mayor there talked about how they were building this park um, in a community that had been historically underinvested, African American, and now that they are putting in this big, beautiful new park, million-dollar condos are just lined up alongside the park. Um, So it's a thing happening everywhere, Mm -hmm. Um, but. what that city did was donate a whole bunch of city-owned land right across the street to make sure it was affordable housing, right? And these are some of the things that are not being done. There's so much vacant land in Woodlawn, you know, they could do a whole bunch of affordable housing because my experience growing up in Humboldt Park, Logan Square, is that the only folks that still have affordable housing are those who live in the units that have been built over the years by Hispanic Housing and Lucia and Baker Redevelopment Corporation and some of the Chicago Housing Authority units there. Mm -hmm. There are very few people left except my mom who lives in a super crummy building um, that's market rate. (laughs) You know, it's not market rate. It's, you know, because her friend lives upstairs and Mm -hmm. lets her live in a crummy building. But for the most part, there's just no affordable housing left, right? And that's gonna be the case in, in Woodlawn and South Shore. And you know, folks there don't really get it sometimes. I, I tell my own story. I lived on the block of the 606 when it opened. And a year later, my rent went up $450 a month. And mm-hmm. I don't live there anymore and I make a good salary, and I already felt like my rent was too high, and now it was going to be 450 more a month. Are you kidding? You know, now in my case, my husband and I were thinking about buying a house, so we just hurried up the process and bought the house, right? But a lot of other people are not there, Um, and that same thing, I tell that story all the time when I'm down on the south side, Um, and folks that are part of the CBA coalition, other people, when they hear me talk, Oftentimes they're like, oh, there's that white girl from Friends of the Parks. But then I tell my story and they're like, oh, she's actually been through this. She understands it. Right. (laughs) Um, Because that's what happens (laughs) unless the city makes real plans. And that's the challenge of why is the Obama Foundation so resistant to making some commitments and not wanting to be accountable. Right. I don't get it. You Uh, know, I mean, my heart, to be honest, is very broken by how this whole process has played out because it could have been win, win, win. Yeah. But for some reason, the way it has been approached has led to a lot of pain, and I expect broken communities.
1: Yeah, I uh, I hear you. I understand, and uh, that's kind of how I feel about the Lincoln Yards tip thing. I'm like, I don't understand. To- uh, but anyway, listen, it's been a blast. We've l- let it go on a little too long. I'm going to cut it off. Lori Glenn and Juanita Irizarry, I'll tell you what, we'll bring you back. Uh, God willing, we're all here and, uh, I beat this one. Huh, Lori? You uh, did. and, and we'll see what we, how we view the world of Lori Lightfoot, maybe maybe three months from now and, uh, Sounds see great. how the world looks. Is that a good idea?
2: That'd be awesome. All
1: yeah. right. Thank you two very much. Thank you, Dr. D. It's thank been you. a Ben Jarofsky bonus show. Take care, everybody.
3: This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine.